Hello, everyone, and welcome to Binge Thinking. I'm your host, Casper Roxburgh, and this is episode one. This is a podcast show where young experts from different fields binge think on their passions, struggles, the issues facing their industry, and the world more generally. Each fortnight, I'll be bringing you perspectives from interesting millennial minds. In the first episode, I've sat down with Brisbane-based filmmaker Jeff Anderson Jr. Jeff works on both commercial projects, and he also works with a number of bands within the Australian music industry. He's currently based at the Brisbane production house Light and Shade. Jeff and I talked about the struggle in defining what you do, class relations in Australia, how the public understands your work as either being very simple and accessible or overly complex, the struggle of producing creative work, funding for film within Australia, and being a young person in the film industry. I really hope you enjoy episode one. If you do, please share it with your friends. You can follow us on Facebook at Binge Thinking Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at binge underscore think. You can leave comments and via our website, you can also suggest a guest if you know somebody that you think would be good for the show. And now I give you Jeff Anderson Jr. That's what I was saying about um, that artist Bonobo. Bonobo? Yeah, so I say Bonobo. Bro, it's Bonobo because it's named after the monkey. Yeah, so I said this to Sally and I was like, I say Bonobo. And everyone says Bonobo. So, because I said Bonobo, and she was like, no, it's Bonobo. And I was like, no, nah, man. I said Sally, Bonobo. Sally Drapes just saying. doesn't know what she's talking about, evidently, but with this like, pronunciation. It's, it's Bonobo because of the monkey. That's how you say Bonobo. No, Bonobo. Like, I've heard, yeah, I've watched a TED Talk. That's the exact for, reasoning with the no, other side. I watched a TED Talk with a Bonobo expert, and that's how they say it. So, maybe it differentiates. We need an expert Googler. We need a Googler. Oh, well. We need a Googler. We need a third man. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to ask you the first question, if that's okay with you. Totally yeah. Okay. So, like, because this is a podcast and people don't know who you are, even though I know who you are, um, can you introduce yourself and say who you are and just a little bit about what you do in your definition of what you do? Yeah, totally. Well, uh, my name is Jeff Anderson Jr. Um I guess I am a filmmaker uh, slash kind of photographer. I wish I was better. But uh, yeah, mainly a filmmaker, I guess. So I work in the creative industries uh, at a small production company called Light and Shade. Uh, I only really started there recently as a director editor. Um, and before that, I was freelancing, working for a couple of ad agencies, um, a couple of creative agencies. Um, and I do many things in the filmmaking arts uh in brisbane at the moment i mean i think it's really common for like young people who would kind of to to not want to cage down what they do into one specific tiny role because i think partly because we don't have permanency in what we do and so we're always trying to make sure that we're like covering diversifying i guess it's like a portfolio almost yeah man you want to be an entrepreneur of your uh, little sector well yeah well but also you know you've got security in having a diverse set of skills even within one area so like you just talked about like a whole range of different jobs and like things you've done in the recent past versus stuff that you're doing now um i'm wondering if like 
uh, there's a particular one of those things that you describe what you do as, as that you identify as your primary thing. I guess the the breadwinning role would be editor at the moment. Yeah. Um, but I guess in the in the long run, I want to be doing more directing work, and I've done a bunch of directing work over the years. Yeah. But editor is what I do for the money at the moment. Yeah, sure. And I've heard you talk really passionately about editing, but is editing something that you only really ended up becoming, I guess, professionalizing out of all of the filmmaking skills that that there are out there, like because it was a breadwinning thing or was it uh, something that you were drawn to to begin with and then it happened to be what you you emphasized on because it makes you money? In somewhere like the creative industries, it's it's sometimes hard to do exactly what you want. And I think that's the problem with a lot of people in the creative industries, especially in somewhere like Brisbane. You know, even if you are a, a top earning producer at a really shit hot, you know, production house or a little boutique agency, then you're still going to be doing stuff for clients that you wish you weren't doing or, you know, you wish you had more creative control over or had more say of what you, you want to do. Um, but I think in the creative industries, it's something where you have to go where the money is. And, you know, for me, that was editing. But I know the production company I work for, Light and Shade, I know that they wish they were doing more short films or they wish they were doing more, um, you know, whether it be music videos or feature films or passion projects that each yeah. one of them have, you know, individually. Um, but I think when you want to make money as a production company and be seen as a mover and shaker, sometimes you have to do stuff with creative agencies that do really great work but also there's a lot of bureaucracy and checking and approving stuff and you know sometimes that can bog down your creativity man oh for sure you're kind of talking about like the way that you have to compromise and do the things that make you money and i asked you specifically about being an editor but you were kind of almost making a broader point about just that that's almost the way that it is with creative industries in terms of projects and specific clients that you work with and how that can become less of a passion and more of a um, something that you just do. But I'm just interested in bringing it back to the idea of like for yourself and with editing, uh, would you, is that how you feel about editing sometimes or is that uh, just more point you're making about the nature of work? Yeah, you mean like, do I see editing as like a burden or something I don't want well, to do within nece- my field? Not necessarily as a burden because, I mean, I, I relate to it because I there are definitely things that I do in my work, um, which if I was purely working from a passion point of view and in terms of what fascinated and excited me about what I do, it, it you know, there are things that I do that don't fit that mold. Like I, I, I find statistics for the most part thoroughly boring. Um, but it's an, a very important part of what I do and it's something that I do well. And so it actually is a point of differentiation at times. And I play that strength. I play to that strength, even though it's not, it doesn't fit within my passion and I find ways to enjoy it and I get into it, but it's not, you know, I'm just wondering if that, if editing's broadly speaking, editing is something like that for you. I think Honestly, I think that's why people say they're filmmakers a lot of the time. I think when you, I think people that I know, and especially myself, tend to say that they are a filmmaker because they don't want to put themselves in any kind of box, Mm. Um, you know, in terms of trying to be an editor or a director or a producer or a writer. Sometimes they want to be able to diversify, to bend and mold themselves to where the money is and what people need. And I think even 
five years ago, you used to have a lot of jobs that were for an editor or for a director or for a producer. Whereas a lot of the jobs you see coming up these days, at least in Brisbane, which to be fair, isn't one of the major cities in Australia. Um, you see more of it for filmmakers or content creatives or content creators or whatever they want to call it. They tend to ask for people who can produce a little bit, edit a little bit and direct a little bit. You have to do a little bit of everything to keep your head above water. But if you talk about what I consider myself, I definitely say a filmmaker to let people know that that's my passion and that's where I make my money and what I do, but also that probably my main pursuits are director and editor. Yeah. It's a really long answer. Yeah. To no, your that's, but that's a really good answer. I think, um, I'm, I, and now I'm just thinking about it and, you know, about how a lot of what you just said, even though it was about the creative industries, I like resonates with me and what I do in the way that, you know, I, uh, approach my work and like even though I have a, spec- a specified area because I'm an agricultural scientist and I've done my PhD um, I still I have a finger in a lot of dif- I have fingers in lots of different pies within my discipline and also I do a lot of different stuff that isn't strictly speaking just research to try and differentiate myself and it's something that I notice even just that kind of diversification of what I do is a point of diversification. If I can get a little better, because I look at the people who I work with who are like in the, in maybe mid career onwards and they, they kind of do one thing. Well, like they, they're just like, Oh, I'm a researcher. And, and within research, they might have a couple of themes they cover. I'm getting a bit sidetracked here, but basically the, what you were just describing then really, I, I felt like it resonated with me in part because I, I, I have a particular belief that, and I'm going to generalize here, um, younger people in the younger half of the workforce and particularly of, you know, like our generation and our age, yeah. uh, broadly speaking, diversifying more regardless of what they actually do. They're doing more things to try and make sure that they've got options because we don't know where uh, our industry is going. Like you never know what the trends are going to be. You don't know what's going to be hot. Like, you know, it's like you look at your Facebook feed these days and all you see is video. I feel like that's something that differentiates us from um, say like the post-middle age Baby boom, baby boomer plus maybe um, generation. Like, do you? What do you think about that? Oh, in terms of like being in a specific role versus trying to diversify. Yeah, like the way you say people now call themselves filmmakers rather than editors because you kind of need that latitude. You need that flexibility. Oh, totally. Because you need to be able to do a bunch of different stuff because that's what's being asked for, but also because you don't know what the next thing will be. Absolutely. Yeah. But do you think that applies more broadly? I think it applies even more broadly than what you're saying. I mean, I think it applies to lots of different areas of study and also professional careers and, you know, not so professional careers. And I think everyone wants a a piece of whatever pie that they can get within that industry, like I said. But I think it probably extends further out than that, you know, if you really want to talk about us versus them kind of generational stuff which i'm all about by the way that's not a negative point yeah i mean obviously it's a big uh part of what i want this show to be about but at the same time we didn't have to go into a, a big yeah. complaint but i'm, I'm just kind of class but i am, am well, but, I, but yeah but yeah well 
that's interesting. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. Explain that. What do you What do you mean? Oh, I mean, like in terms of you know, I you also know me and know that I'm all on board with class warfare as it yeah. But as I it mean, but, to me but as a I, I know person. you, but the audience doesn't. So yeah, explain yeah, what you well, mean. I mean, I guess that you know that also relates to how I'd classify myself as a filmmaker because I think when you're still a middle class person to probably in between a lower and middle class person in the creative industries you know you kind of have this feeling that you're not making it successfully or you're not rich and also a director and a filmmaker and all these things so you're not doing it well you know i think i'm someone from a very low class family not very low class but you know pretty low class uh and now i probably am just clawing my way to middle class and and making it so that i can pay all my bills on time and you know buy you know something that is worth a bit of money you know i buy records you know that's probably like my most expensive pursuit you know it's not necessarily buying cars or anything like that um but i think when you're in that bracket when you're encountering people who are of the upper class or higher class and kind of grown up in a family where they teach you that you know you need a buck against higher class people who think they can just say whatever they want then you do have that in you from family i think and from your upbringing as well you know and i think it applies to having this new generation who doesn't want to be squared and put away in a box by, you know, the upper class and the, and the higher class, let alone the baby boomers or anyone that came before them. Really. I think there's definitely that ingrained thing growing up in a generation where we're taught stuff about, you know, free love from one generation and that you have to work for what you have from another part of that same generation. You know, there's so many things that have come up, in the time that it took to get together and make us, you know, in terms of the left wing movement in general, but, you know, also the, you know, women's rights movements and the, um, you know, movements of colored people, you know, whatever creed you may be in general. But I think when you look at all that progress and you grow up in a time where we grew up, where the internet's happening and you can get on your phone and talk to someone to come to your house and have sex with you, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we can do, but at the same time, I think we're stifled by a lot of the systems that were put in place before us. And I think when we think about not putting labels on things, whatever industry you're in, you know, like you might be a, God, I'm branching out now, but you know, you might be a construction worker, but you know, you want to say you're a construction worker and not necessarily a forklift or, or a big cat driver. You yeah, know? yeah. Like you don't hear a lot of people say, Oh, I drill, God, I don't know anything about construction. I shouldn't have branched out to this. But, you know, I, I drill the holes that all the, all the still steel beams go in so that our guy can come after me and put steel beams in those holes. You know, you yeah, don't really yeah. hear people talking about that on first, at least first glance or first ask. And when they say I'm a construction worker, no, no one really knows enough about that industry to really think, oh, but like, what do you do specifically? Like, that's really general. Yeah. You know, and with yourself, saying I'm an agricultural scientist. Mm. I don't know enough about that. And that's not in the public enough. That's not in the public consciousness or the public eye enough to really say, oh, but what in agricultural science do you do? But I think that when I talk about my, you know, the normal normal response is, oh, what does that mean? Or is that got something to do with farming? Yeah, but they're more asking about what that industry is, not specifically what you do. Exactly. So, you know, But like when, when you talk about it in the sense of creative industries and a film, being a filmmaker and, and being someone who's creative, you know, I think it's 
kind of classed in that realm where it's like you said there's so much video content out there at the moment that kind of consider that everyone can do it or anyone can do it and i think especially when you talk about video and photo content there is that knowledge that there is high quality and there's low quality yeah but not a lot of the public can discern what's low quality agricultural science and what's high quality agricultural science apart from the obvious things that comes back to the whole idea that um, that creative industry product is widely consumed. If yeah, but oh, no one's no, no one's sitting at like a, one, no one's sitting at a big company. You know, say say you're at like one of the CEOs of of Coke, right? And someone comes to you with a problem. And like I said before, I'm not someone of a high class, so I don't know a lot about these high powered roles. <laughs> but I'm just assuming from a low lower class person's point of view. But if you're the CEO of Coke, right, and someone comes to you and they're like, you've got a problem with one of your ingredients, all the thing that we're growing for this ingredient is dying yeah. when we plant it. Mm. What are we going to do about this problem? You're not going to say, you're not going to turn around to that guy and say, oh, no, I saw my cousin do some agricultural scientist or do some agricultural you know i saw my cousin do some agricultural science yeah i'll just let him do it you're more likely to turn around and say oh i saw my cousin do some video content i'm just gonna let him do it you know there's like this high to low scale of how much your profession is in the public eye as to what people think they know about it yeah oh that's really interesting yeah yeah i've never that yeah that's just so different from what i do yeah people are very like you're the expert science i don't get it you do it you know yeah, yeah. no that's yeah. that's fascinating i think when you when you talk about that kind of stuff even me who's you know generally i like to think i'm a person who's quite inquisitive and i ask a lot of questions about mm. people's professions when i don't know a lot about them but even as well as i know you in our in our friendship life yeah i find myself at a pause to ask you more about the specifics for your agricultural science degree. Whereas I think you and a lot of other people I know are probably not as hesitant, but I might be, you know, generalizing here to when they hear hear that I'm a filmmaker or I'm like working on a commercial or I'm like working on a, you know, a series that I'm working on at the moment with Fox Mm. sports, which is just a fishing show by the way. So they get too excited, but when they hear about that kind of stuff, they're more likely to be like, oh, what are the specifics of that? How do you do that? Yeah. Because it's more in that public eye and it's more something where they can discern what is low quality and what is high quality, but also at the same time that everyone can do it. Well, everybody watches the Oscars and nobody watches the Nobel Prize awards on, you know, I think it's like a billion people or more more than a billion people watch the Oscars or something like that. I mean, and obviously they do because it's the filmmaking industry, which links to television, which links to mass communication. Yeah. I mean, the creative industries is a, is a particular case in point as well. But, um, I have like one more question I wanted to ask you in relation to just what we were talking about before, which is you were talking about lower class a lot and I'm interested to know, what do you mean by lower class? And and I don't mean that as like, oh, I'm going to, you know, oh, you're wrong about what lower class. I'm just wondering, like, how do you define for you, for yourself, from your own experience, you know, and how you grew up, how do you define what you mean by lower class in Australia? Um, yeah, I guess I can only really speak for the place I grew up and the environment that I grew up or the environment that I grew up in. But I think when I talk about lower class, I probably mean stuff, you know, about 
being in a multi-child family, uh, having a lot of credit card debt in the family, having a lot of credit card debt in your mum and dad, um, and also having things like McDonald's being quite the treat. Getting, um, I remember having my birthday and having my mom come to me and say, you know, we don't have enough money because my birthday is first February, so it's quite close yep. to Christmas. Yep. Saying, you know what, we spent a lot of money on Christmas. We definitely can't afford a present for you on your birthday, but one or two months down the track, we'll totally get that thing that you wanted, which was a video game. And to be fair, you know, PlayStation 1 video game, it probably costs maybe 60 bucks back then. I'm definitely reaching deep to think of things that define low class other than money things and possession wise because it dominated so much of what my life was Mm. but I guess just from thinking about that and thinking about how much money dominated my family and my life as a child I think I'd say the difference between especially middle class to low class is the amount of factors that money decides in your life I think if you can live a childhood or a teenage life with your family where you're not worrying about money, where you're not worrying about what's going to happen next week or how you're going to afford to buy a school uniform. And it does have an impact. Yeah. Or as a teenager as well, or, you know, when you're under the, your parents' roof Mm -hmm. and wondering how you're going to get that school uniform, even though as the kid, it's not really your responsibility to worry about that. Yeah or to have that be something that's on your mind. I think when you can grow up and not worry about how your parents are affording your school uniforms, I think that's probably a sign that you're middle class. Yeah. And if you are not worrying about where your parents are getting money from at all, I think that's probably a sign of higher class. Okay, that's really interesting and really good. I like that. I've just got a couple more things I want to ask you. The first is going back to uh, your work and what you do, do you have a struggle? And if so, what, what is your struggle? What's my struggle? Good question. Um, I guess my struggle as a, as a filmmaker and someone in the creative industries, I think the struggle for myself and probably a lot of people is getting ideas from the page to the screen or the, the page to the you know, whatever it may be, like a phone or even a laptop screen, you know, getting something made and something that you want to make is a really big struggle in terms of where people sit in the creative industries. I think it probably is true for at least photography and film and music in terms of having an idea and wanting to do something and having the passion for it and actually having the tools to be able to to make those things. I know that I have a lot of ideas constantly and things I want to do and things that excite me and things that get me passionate but I think finding the funding and the resources for those things is you know probably the biggest struggle that I face as someone who is in the creative industries as both a passion and as a career Mm. right so you'd say that basically that the number one struggle for you is is producing the from the idea to the actual final product is still oh, the, absolutely the fundamental struggle as it always yeah kind of always is and would I, I don't know if i'm going too far to say that but for the creative industries oh yeah i mean i think getting ideas that you're passionate about onto you know into eyeballs essentially is definitely the most difficult part i know that 
day-to-day um, throughout this year as a freelancer and um, with a new company and with other companies before, generally you're making content for people like, uh, you know, like whether it be Buttenberg Ginger Beer or, or Google or Flight Center or whatever, they generally tend to be content. That's commercial content, basically. Yeah. It's not sure. that as opposed to like a creative idea that you come up with for a film or a TV show. Yeah, it has creative you know hair and skin and eyes but it doesn't have a creative heart oh that's good and i think that's i think that's probably the difference between something that you're passionate about and like doing and is fulfilling as opposed to something that you're passionate about and is fulfilling but also is something that pays the bills in a massive way that you have to do to make it work and i think that's probably the the problem with a lot of creatives that i talk to in the film industry specifically is they, you know, are passionate people and they love what they do and the work that they do for um, companies, whoever that may be, and agencies, whoever that may be, um, is really great and awesome. But at the same time, they have these passions and ideas and, you know, all that kind of nice beating heart stuff mm. that they... Bleeding heart. Even. Yeah, bleeding heart. You know, heart in your sleeve kind of shit that you want to get out there and you want to make, but sometimes you don't have the resources to do that. You know, if I had a dollar... If I had a, even one cent for the amount of times that I had someone tell me that they had this burning passion, this project or this idea or this creative outlet that they wanted to capitalize on they want to maximize on but they can't do it because of money or they're too busy or they're you know too busy doing things for other people you know maybe i wouldn't be lower class or middle class maybe i'd be a little bit higher yeah and leaning on from that are you um you know there are a few limited avenues for that kind of uh funding like for stuff that is purely creative and doesn't necessarily have a commercial return aside from you know if it's a hit um or if you manage to sell it but like you you know you can get money in the form of grants it's i know it's really competitive but i'd love to hear what what that situation is like today i mean i i don't know all all you know is my parents are both artists and i grew up knowing what it's like when you're trying to make money from art i know how hard that can be and i'm just wondering like for the film industry in australia today and what in your experience um what is that like is there anything in particular about it that you're unhappy with or or particularly happy with i guess the first thing that comes to mind is probably you know the lack of funding in general for the creative industries in australia i mean i think that's probably hopefully at least a fact that a lot of the listeners know that there is not a lot of funding for the creative industries in Australia. But what, especially. Are we, what are we? What are we? What are we talking about there? I mean, I think we're I, I, I'm, not, other countries. I'm not denying it, but but give me an example that I can kind of give me an idea of what you mean by not, um, not, not much. I guess funding. probably that I remember the last time that I was disappointed with uh, you know the amount of money that was going to funding was I remember that Screen Queensland specifically uh, had a program called the Writers Room. Uh, and they used to fund, um, I think it was maybe five, I want to say max 10, but I think it was more five writers to be paid some, you know, pretty middle to lower class sum in terms of it being maybe 32 to possibly $40,000 for a year to just yeah, so write a feature length stretch. to um, median yeah yeah i remember it being something that was a wage that i would be really comfortable with where i was sitting at the time which was probably um either just graduating uni or maybe like a year out yeah um 
And it was a program where they just paid those five or so writers to write a feature length script. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of checks and balances that happen there and they have to meet, I think it was maybe every once a week or once a fortnight. And I remember getting out of uni and seeing that that funding was there and being really excited by it. There's not a lot of funding in grants in this industry where they can really get people to get excited about it in terms of like, you know, we're giving someone $500,000 to make a feature film. You know, that's crazy talk, but, you know, that would be something that would obviously get a lot of people excited. Um, and I think when they announce a grant like this with the writer's room yeah. and they say that they're going to essentially pay you a year's wage to just write a feature script and then meet industry people and, you know, have experienced writers check in on it's you. It's a pretty phenomenal opportunity for somebody who's just come out of university. Perhaps. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I remember I was just kind of gearing up for that. I had just graduated uni. I had a film in the short film corner at Cannes, which was my graduating film from uni. Um, and if anyone knows the short film corner, it's, I guess, like an international showcase for short films from around the globe. So it is like a lot of films that get shown there, but also you can definitely get rejected because I also did another year as well. Mm. Um, and I remember having a feature film script at the time, which is definitely still my passion, definitely still my passion project. Um, but I remember hearing about this funding for the writer's room and just thinking that it was such a perfect thing for someone who wanted to devote a big chunk of themselves and also their passion to a project that they really want to do. Mm. And I remember seeing something like that and gearing up for it and wanting to do it and, and writing endlessly in my free time to try and get prepared to do that grant. And then the plug getting pulled two years in yeah. and stuff like that. When you see it happen before your eyes in what you know is a, thriving growing industry in the way that people are dying for video content whether it's on your phone or on the big screen or whether it's quality content to be slashing even a hundred thousand dollars from funding for a state in australia i just don't think it's something we can afford i don't think it's something that we can afford as a society that wants to see creative content. And I don't think it's the thing that we can afford as an industry, not having that extra money generating revenue and projects. I'm wondering if, if there's anything that you would change about the industry of filmmaking. The biggest gap that I see in my industry is the $150,000 that's going to be thrown at a 10 second spot that goes before a YouTube video that's an ad advertising some shit thing that someone doesn't want as opposed to this idea that someone's been thinking about for literally 15 years mm. that they can't find a dime to make mm. and trying to find like some kind of conduit or some kind of system that allows that passion project or the things that people have been sitting on for years that they could do for free mm. if they were only paid some way for them to live and to you know pay their rent you know how do you you fix that though i mean man good question i you know i think i hear about ideas these days and especially stuff that's come up in in our kind of generation in terms of like universal basic income you know something like that really makes me think about the possibilities in my industry you know if i had a universal basic income i'd make the shit out of the five best ideas that i feel i have yeah but you know when you're in your industry and you're doing film things that you feel privileged to do anyway, but you end up just doing work for other people that have the money. Mm. You know, I feel like there needs to be some kind of 
you know, whether it's extra funding or, you know, whether it's universal basic income. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I, mean like I, would, I would love if we, I mean, a lot of people are against it. I think if we can afford it one day based off economic activity, that's being automated, essentially, um, it would be better for that money to be used in society to do that. Because I mean, per, from a personal point of view, if I, if I could just have my wage, you know, covered, I would still be an agricultural scientist, but I would do projects, you know, that I knew I was going to do best at. I would direct my yeah. skills in the, into my greatest strengths with my greatest level of passion. And it would be, you know, projects that are really trying to make a huge difference, but I can't necessarily get anyone to fund it because sometimes it's too ambitious or sometimes it's just not what's popular at the moment or yeah, totally. sometimes it doesn't have a clear commercial element to it, but it would still be a huge good for society. And that's, I think, kind of what you're describing in in yeah. your frustration of like you know, in the creative industry, there's the commercial side, which is still creative and it's great, but you know, it, there are some things that won't necessarily make money, but will still be good. They'll yeah, still be you know, brilliant, you know, artwork or, or, or it, they'll still, people will still enjoy them, but it, maybe not in a way that, you know, um, has a dollar benefit. I just have one more question for you and that I guess we've kind of talked about this the whole time. So if you don't really have anything else to add to it, don't feel like you have to, but what's it like being a young person in the creative industry? What's it like being a young person doing what you do specifically? I mean, it's awesome, man. I, I think I talk about a lot of the problems that, you know, plague the creative industries and also the film industry. Um, being a young person in a, in an industry that, has a lot of growth and flexibility and is always moving. It's awesome. You know, seeing how things are changing is scary, but at the same time, it's, it's great to know that something that you didn't know about a month ago or wasn't on your radar, you know, it changes in this way that favors young people or it changes in this way where a new piece of technology revolutionizes the way that it gets into your ears and eyes and, and brains you know when you talk about things like crowdfunding and being a young person who can have a really good idea and sit in your room sit in your bedroom and think i've got this fucking awesome idea that i want to make i'm going to go on the internet that i know how to use because i use the internet every day in my life because i'm a young person and i can go on and i can ask complete strangers to fund this amazing idea that i have that i'm really passionate about that's an awesome thing you know Mm. i think the I've talked a lot about systems that aren't necessarily strong enough to sustain a direct flow from passion to product. But I think when I, I'm looking at the systems that are coming up, the things that are gaining traction, like being able to go onto the internet and ask strangers to fund a passion project. And the fact that that, you know, whether it's one out of a hundred or one out of a thousand, the fact that it happens at all is really exciting you know, you can use stuff at your fingertips like computers and iPhones and, you know, new cameras that get built onto the front of drones, you know, like stuff like that. Yeah, Yeah, you you just have a new set of tools, you know, you you have a new set of things in front of you that you can use to make what you love. Mm. Beautiful. Um, That might be a nice place to end it. Um, 
I really appreciate you coming in and taking the time to do this with me. It's right, man. Um, and it's been really interesting to like mine your brain for everything that it, that it's worth. Well, I feel like there's more in there. Trust me. Um, Hopefully, but and and like I feel like we could do this many more times, and I hope you'll consider coming back on um, in the future. But just when Maybe. we finish, do a status update. Yeah, um, but uh, just to finish, uh, is there anything that you would like to tell people about if they want to like know more about you or what you're doing or like um, follow your work? Like, just plug away, go for it. Uh, I mean, I guess I'd like to talk to people if they wanted to to really talk. Um, I think I have a website. It's like jeffjr.com, but it's spelled J-E-F-F-J-N-R.com. But that has like an email on it. So just email me and just ask me a question and we'll have a chat and it'll be great. Yeah, excellent. And I'll put the um, details, those, well, that web address and um, anything else that Jeff might have up on the website as well. If people are interested, they can have a look. And yeah, thank you so much, Jeff.